My name is Mariana Simnet. I'm showing an exhibition called Seizure at Copenhagen Contemporary in Hall 3, all the way down the end of the corridor at the very end, where you'll see a red sign, a bit like a warning that says seizure. This is CC Audio. Encounters with selected works and artists showcased at Copenhagen Contemporary. I am showing two pieces of work, the first called Faint with Light, and the other one is called The Needle and the Larynx. On the wall in the back of a purple room, you see the slowed-down footage of a voice surgeon injecting Botox into Mariana's larynx. An injection that will paralyze the muscles responsible for her pitch, and which causes her voice to get deeper and stay like this for several months. Meanwhile, you hear layers of audio overlapping each other, adding different contexts to the procedure. This is the needle in the larynx. Selling a miracle, telling me not to be so cynical. The needle in the larynx includes several different modes of storytelling. This includes a fable which tops and tails the work, followed by a brief telling of the history of Botox, followed by a surgeon in, in the surgery room asking me to test the pitch of my voice. And then it goes through to a song composed by myself and musician Lucinda Chois. And then it goes through to the procedure itself. And then my confessional report 48 hours after, and then back to the fable again at the end. The story is about a girl who asks a surgeon to inject her. One time, the girl went to the surgeon and said, Surgeon, make my voice low so that it trembles with the earth and is closer to those groans outside that keep me turning in the night. And the surgeon refuses, and so the girl curses him by asking the temperature to become so warm that a horde of mosquitoes will feast on him until each belly had grown to three times its size and his groans became just like the sounds outside that kept her turning in the night. And she smiled when she caught his terrified eye and he showed her the glint of the needle and the glass of the bottle. And the girl gets what she wants. I suppose it leans more into myth than a happy fairy tale ending. The girl also doesn't quite get her way because her laughter, which has a shrill, piercing frequency, splits from her side and starts to seek revenge on her again. So there's this sort of looping back or, or splitting of the individual into multiple parts. Her laughter was outside her. The temperature grew cold. Its chill hit her bones with a faint reminder. You cannot quell the shrill from your laughter. And you cannot modulate disaster. 
in this work, again, I am altering or mutating my body in some way. I'm changing my voice to make it deeper through a procedure given to me by a voice surgeon who injects my larynx with a dose of Botox, which has the effect of lowering my voice for approximately three months. And the title alludes to the protagonists of something that might come from a fable, like the stork and the fox. But instead of an animal or a person, we are turning an instrument or a tool into a protagonist, the needle and the larynx and the organ instead of the human, the body part, sorry, instead of the human. I wanted to make a piece of work that embodied me so entirely that I wouldn't know where it stopped and where it ended and that it would go to bed with me at night, would change the way I interacted with others that didn't stop at the gates of the institution or the door of my studio. And it was important to me to actually occupy, to let something engulf me to that extreme. And not necessarily to become some kind of freak ogre or monster, but just to shift myself. And I was interested in the, in the voice because it makes up such a huge part of your identity and um, define ourselves as who we are. And so to change that means to let go somehow of your individuality or your sense of this pronoun, I. And so I set about finding someone who would do it. I contacted a surgeon who'd been in one of my previous works, Blood, and asked her if she'd she knew anyone who could lower my voice. She put me in touch with a, a voice surgeon called Declan Costello, who I spoke to at length on the phone, and he was a little worried about my request, given that I hadn't been through any therapy, coaching, didn't really know where this was coming from, and so referred me to another colleague of his who was, a, who was leading in the field of gender reassignment in The Voice. And I walked into his office and after a few questions, he, he just said, ah, oh, I see, you subject yourself to things. And he just somehow understood what I was getting at and offered to find a solution. It would be easier if we just put one there. And the solution was not invasive surgery as I'd previously planned, but a temporary procedure that would go away and it would fade, which led me into the field of Botox and the Botox industry, which is a fascinating bacteria that snaps the connection between your brain and your muscles and temporarily paralyzes them so they can't move. And in the larynx, the cricothyroid muscle, which is one of the two muscles responsible for the pitch of your voice, um, when injected into that muscle, the muscle relaxes to the extent that it cannot tighten and heighten the notes of your voice. OK, so if we turn the machine on... The machine identifies the muscle that we need to inject. Can you just put your head back for me? 
We've got a nice vein right on top of it. She may end up with a bit of a bruise. Say E. E. That's right. Just relax now. A little scratch. Say E. Just before the procedure, in the weeks leading up to the procedure, I um, I started making an archive of my words. And for 20 minutes each day, I would record in my studio, starting with the alphabet, growing out to useful phrases and sentences, and then prose-like stories and um, capturing my voice, trying to retain something in case it never went back. I had to prepare myself for some doomed eventuality that would mean I wouldn't ever become be myself again. I never ended up using it, but I thought that might make its way into the, into the narrative. But what actually became the narrative for me in the story was much closer to what was actually going on, which was a retelling of my own personal experience, dramatised as a fable. I wrote the fable in conjunction with my real experience. So the first part that you hear was written in the days leading up to the procedure, which ends with the line, and she sat in her seat and awaited her miracle. And that was written moments before I sat in the seat and awaited the procedure. So then afterwards, we, I wrote the other bit after I'd had the procedure when I was actually struggling quite a lot. And the, it was just a way of me navigating my experience and not having to tell the absolute truth but being able to play with it a bit just show a exaggerated retelling of, of what was actually going on i play all the characters in a story through digital pitch manipulation so not only am i going through a medical surgical procedure to change the pitch of my voice but i'm also playing the characters of the surgeon the mosquitoes the temperature the girl all of whom have been modified in the sound design to occupy these different character voices, which um, I suppose toys with this idea of digital and surgical manipulation. When I got the injection, at first nothing happened. I have a diary entry sitting in a cafe afterwards on my own, thinking, fuck, nothing's Nothing's happened. I've just gone to all this drama. <laughs> and there's zero effect. And that's it. And I, I just, it was very underwhelming. Um, he did say it was going to take a while, but it's just, you don't really, you don't really believe it. Because the day after, it was still the same. So then suddenly, actually, I woke up and it was incredibly sudden. I woke up and I, I didn't have a voice. It wasn't uncomfortable as in painful, it just felt like something disappeared and I couldn't make a sound. And when I did make a sound, it sounded um, strained and struggling and like buried. It didn't feel present. It's 48 hours after I had an injection of Botox into my cricothyroid muscle. Because my muscle is now paralyzed the vocal cords gone, tighten, prohibiting the elevation of pitch. 
when he did it, it felt like someone was holding my throat from behind. And because he was poking the needle left and right, trying to detect which part to inject, it's like someone's caught like, mm. but like you suddenly become conscious of all the but. All the bars of your throat. <clears> throat. They didn't tell me I was expect. I was expect. <laughs> I keep getting really dizzy. And that went on for a couple of weeks, maybe two or three weeks, where I'd go out and not be able to contribute to conversations. People would start talking to me like I was deaf. Any kind of frequency, like a pub or a train or the general bustling of a city would um, drown me. And so I just didn't go out. And then gradually it, it strengthened. I grew into this deeper realm. It, essentially it was capping the upper range of my voice, the Botox. So it wasn't giving me any gravitas. It was forcing me to use the base range of my voice only and limiting me, um, which also forces you to to speak lower, like, you wouldn't speak like that if you had the full range. After a couple, two or three weeks, the, the raspiness started to go and I started to be able to speak clearly, still not be able to be heard shouting over a crowd, but I, it was functioning again. And then very, very, very gradually, imperceptible to anyone except myself, it would start to taper off back into a, my original pitch. The reason that people have this procedure normally is because they are usually men, often in their late 20s, I'm paraphrasing the surgeon, who didn't make the smooth transition during puberty, which means they do gain testosterone, but for some reason their voice stays, remains in the upper range. They stay high. Another word for it is um, mutational falsetto, also called puberphonia. And this fascinated me. How can your body get stuck like that? It gets stuck in some form of childhood and it refuses to, it refuses to go lower, it refuses to break. And so this procedure can um, induce the lower range without actually affecting you permanently. So this is a, a, like a, a first step that would come after therapy and coaching, actually, which is normally the, uh, a very successful cure. It's not for gender reassignment. It's not for women who want a lower voice, because if you're going through hormone treatment, you would, you would already have that testosterone going through your body, and that would in itself transform your voice as well but i'm not having a i'm not having a treatment that's used for gender reassignment the needle in the larynx is exhibited together with another piece of work by mariana called faint with light i've mentioned the groans that the girl wants to be close to the groans outside that keep her turning in the night that creeps through both works but i think What's quite magic about the combination of these two works together is that you do hear the groans from Faint With Light next door rupturing through the silence and it um, lends itself 
through the voice, through this um, manipulation of the voice or this rupturing of the unconscious sounds that's coming through the doorway, that that's, that is um, very literally the sound outside that is this fearsome monstrosity of the body that is um, allowing itself to be heard. I like both the differences of the works in that one is very bleak and minimal and stark and the other is, I suppose, a bit more um, belonging to the realm of fairy tale and magic and enchantment. But both somehow lean into each other and listen to each other and are um, dynamic as a pair. Half of my upbringing um, was um, in Yugos former Yugoslavia, now Croatia, and I was influenced by that place a lot and by the culture there a lot, which being so young and understanding that over there there was a war going on that I couldn't enter and stop going to Yugoslavian school when it got split up and my grandfather and his experience of a, of a different war and then surviving yet another one. And I think I had this peripherally going on my whole life, trying to understand why we have the cliche of the burden of the Balkans, which has its own name. You know, it's been widely commented on and used. There's a heaviness to, the, to that part of the world, the East. There's also, I notice, uh, a, a deep value in laughter and in humour that maybe exists a little less in Britain. Um, I suppose I identify with it and I, I find um, myself attracted to gallows humour and folklore, fairy tales and finding ways of describing the world that we're in not in order to make it less real, but actually to offer up possibilities of what could, what could be. You've been listening to CC Audio, created and produced by Copenhagen Contemporary in collaboration with me, Astrid Hall. A very big thanks to Mariana Simnet. Music in this episode was made by Jared C. Ballock and Chris Silver T. Thank you for listening.